Welcome back to Spoiler Free Wrestling, the podcast. And on this edition of the show, we are going to run down AEW Dynamite on TNT, the second ever edition of the show. Just a quick scheduling note. What we'll try and do moving forward here is we'll do these AEW Dynamite reviews on Thursday. Now, much like others who live in Canada, I don't get to see NXT air live. Much like the Monday Night Wars, the Wednesday Night Wars in Canada don't actually involve the two shows airing at the same time or even on the same night. NXT doesn't air in Canada until the Friday, and it's a condensed version, a condensed one-hour version, although there are sort of other ways to get the full two hours of the show before it is put up on the WWE Network. So what we'll do is we'll do these AEW Dynamite reviews on Thursdays, and then we will get to reviewing NXT over the weekend. So, AEW Dynamite, the second show for, well, the second show on TNT for All Elite Wrestling. Now, this show took place from a much smaller arena than their debut show did. Their debut show was from the Capital One Arena in Washington, this show was from the Aganis Arena in Boston, and I believe I said the name of the arena with about as much confidence as Jim Ross did at the start of the broadcast on Wednesday night. But this is where the Boston University hockey team plays, whereas the show from the Capital One Arena last week, that's an NBA, NHL arena, so considerably bigger for week one. Then week two, but this crowd at the Aganis Arena was really pumped up. They were really into everything, and it seemed like they were rowdy throughout the entire two-hour show. Maybe they were for the matches filmed for AEW Dark. Um, but we'll find out when those matches are released on YouTube on Tuesday. But they kicked things off with a huge match. It was a match which I thought might actually main event the whole show. And it was the match between the Young Bucks and Private Party in the first round of the AEW World Tag Team Championship Tournament. So, Private Party. Now, this is a team that was recruited into AEW by the Young Bucks. Private Party comes from House of Glory in New York which is a promotion the Young Bucks are very familiar with. It's a promotion that was founded by Amazing Red. It's a promotion that earlier this week, Master P announced that he was buying into. Master P. I don't know if any of the No Limit soldiers are going to be coming to House of Glory, like Big Swole or any of them, but Master P is now a part owner of House of Glory. House of Glory has produced a lot of very talented wrestlers and a lot of uh, local people from New York really like that promotion. So that's where the Young Bucks recruited Private Party. But sort of the the book on Private Party coming into this tournament, coming into their debut in AEW was that they were this team of young prospects, young blue chippers that were going to be a fantastic tag team at some point. Just not yet. You know, they're still really young. They're still really new to pro wrestling. But they picked up an absolutely stunning upset 
over the Young Bucks here, knocking the Young Bucks out of the tag team title tournament. This was a tournament many had thought that the Young Bucks could win. But they're out in the first round. There was a lot that happened in this match. At one point, Isaiah Kennedy was powerbombed onto the, the ramp. And so he was taken out of the match for a long time. His partner, Mark Quinn, uh, took a beating from both members of the Young Bucks. But in the end, the Bucks would go for a Meltzer driver. And it was countered into a roll-up. And they got the pin. The the private party defeated the Young Bucks. Now, mind you, this wasn't private party hitting a whole bunch of moves on the Young Bucks and then hitting their finish. I think they did hit their finish, but Matt Jackson kicked out of it. Yeah, their finish is called Gin and Juice, and Matt Jackson actually kicked out of it at one point. But this wasn't them delivering their whole arsenal of offensive moves and then getting the pin on a knocked-out opponent. This was a roll-up victory. And sometimes these types of victories can be seen as a little fluky and perhaps as something that needs to be run back again. So later after this tournament is decided... Perhaps we will get a rematch between the Young Bucks and Private Party where Private Party tried to prove that it wasn't a fluke and the Young Bucks tried to prove that it was. Now, I think a lot of people, or some, a good deal of people, may have figured that the Young Bucks were the best bets to win this tournament, to become the inaugural AEW World Tag Team Champions. They actually said on commentary during this match that the Young Bucks were considered the top seed in this tournament. And that's the first time I've heard them mention anything to do with seeding in this tournament. So now, Private Party, they'll go on to the October 23rd episode of Dynamite. And they'll face the winners of the Lucha Bros versus Jurassic Express, which will take place next week. Also taking place next week will be the Best Friends versus SCU. And the winner of that match will take on the Dark Order on the October 23rd episode of Dynamite. And then the finals will be held on the October 30th episode of Dynamite. Which means there would only be one episode of Dynamite after that to determine who would face the champions. If anybody faces the champions on the pay-per-view full gear, which is November the 9th. So just looking at the brackets of the tournament, who could possibly come away from this, the champions? There are two teams that have already qualified for the semifinals. That's Private Party and the Dark Order. Somehow, though, I'm not sure if either one of those two teams should really be considered a favorite to win the titles. You've also got the Lucha Bros and SCU. To me, I think between the Lucha Bros and Jurassic Express, I think the Lucha Bros would have to be considered the favorite there. Although we just saw a giant upset between the Young Bucks and Private Party. So just because the Lucha Bros are favored doesn't mean that they're going to win. Of course, if the Lucha Bros win and the Young Bucks had have won, it would have set up yet another match between those two teams for the semifinals of this tournament. So it could be the Lucha Bros 
they could win and become the first ever AEW Tag Team Champions. Could also be SCU, Christopher Daniels, and Frankie Kazarian. as a very, you know, veteran team. The best friends, maybe you would consider them the third or the fourth seed. Private Party, Dark Order, and Jurassic Express, all still alive in the tournament as well, however. Then the next segment was the in-ring promo from the new faction in All Elite Wrestling, the Inner Circle. And I love the name, The Inner Circle. Because it just makes so much sense considering the dynamic which exists in All Elite Wrestling. You have in this promotion a very unique situation where the Young Bucks are executives in the company and they also compete in the tag team division. Cody is an executive in the company and he also he's challenging for the world championship on the next pay-per-view. Kenny Omega is an executive in the company and also competes. So you've got... So really, backstage in AEW, if there's an inner circle, it's the elite. So why is Chris Jericho calling his group the inner circle? Well, it's because he wants to show the elite that he's the one who really runs things in AEW. And he wants to show that it's the people he brings around him who are the inner circle in AEW. So even though Chris Jericho is not an executive with the company, he's the AEW world champion. So whoever he has around him, that's AEW's inner circle. And during this promo, he talked about... All of the members of his stable referred to Sammy Guevara as a Spanish god and said that he was the most talented wrestler of his age that Jericho had seen in a long time. Referred to Santana and Ortiz as a couple of psychos and then shouted Viva La Raza on Eddie Guerrero's birthday which was Wednesday night. Then he started talking about Jake Hager, the former Jack Swagger. The fans all started to chant, We the People, but Jericho shut that down, saying that We the People was a product from Bad Creative and all of that is gone now. And not once for the rest of the show did anybody chant We the People. Jericho made it clear that that's all done now. Mentioned Jake Hager is undefeated in MMA. It's a Bellator heavyweight. And he told Cody that at full gear on November 9th, he's going to beat the ever-loving shit out of him. Jericho was dressed up as ever the cocky world champion bad guy with the suit jacket on with no shirt underneath the glasses inside he almost reminded me a little of when the rock was the the wwf champion while leading the corporation 
But this was such an important segment for Jericho's group. And this was one of the most impactful, if not the most impactful segment of television AEW has produced so far. It really felt as though we were being introduced to a faction which will play a big role in AEW for a long time to come. And now we have this established dynamic in the company. It took two weeks of television for the battle lines to be drawn conclusively. You've got the elite on one side. And along with the elite, you also have Dustin Rhodes. You have MJF. And then on the other side, you've got Chris Jericho and the inner circle. And these two sides are going to battle it out in every division the company has. Except for the women's division, since neither group has any women. So, (laughs) But you've got Cody going up against Jericho at full gear for the world title. Neither the Young Bucks nor Santana and Ortiz are in the running for the tag team titles in the tournament. But knowing those two teams, they'll get back into the mix of things pretty quickly. But Jericho will have to defend the championship next week in Philadelphia. And that takes us to the third segment on the show, the second match. Jimmy Havoc going up against Darby Allen with the winner receiving a title shot against Chris Jericho next week. Now, I did see some complaints online, and I'm not really sure how much, if anything, online complaints are worth, but some fans were kicking up a stink about, well, why why are Jimmy Havoc and Darby Allen duking it out for to see who receives a title shot? Are these really two of the top contenders? What about Pac? who's beaten Kenny Omega and has beaten Hangman Page. Shouldn't he be in the mix for a title shot? What about John Moxley? Should he not be in the mix for a title shot? Well, they had actually announced before Dynamite even started that Jericho would be defending the title on the show in Philadelphia next week. But this is something that uh, AEW is going to have to wrestle with a little bit is the idea of title shots with not the number one contender getting the shot. Now, this happens in combat sports that are fiction and non-fiction alike. You will have challengers for a title who are not the number one contender when there are, are other challengers ahead of them. Case in point, Holly Holm was the ninth-ranked fighter in the UFC bantamweight division when she received a title shot against Ronda Rousey. So as long as the number one contender is always getting the shot on the pay-per-views or is never being denied a title shot, you're going to have some title matches like this where it's a wrestler who's not as highly ranked getting the title shot. And that's kind of what happened here. Now, Jimmy Havoc won the Cracker Barrel Clash or whatever it is at All Out. So you could argue, okay, well, that 
winning that match, since it was on a pay-per-view, it was a triple threat, it was an important match, that then qualifies him for another big match, which this would be. As for Darby Allen, you can make the argument that, one, he beat Shima last week on AEW Dark, but the other important part with Darby Allen is he wrestled Cody to a draw. And Cody has beaten everybody else in every other match that he's had. And Cody is receiving the title shot at full gear. So if Darby Allen went to a draw with Cody, shouldn't Darby Allen be seen as almost as highly ranked as Cody? Like, he wouldn't be as highly ranked because Cody's beaten a bunch of other guys. But since he went to a draw with Cody, he should be around that level, but a little bit lower. So when you think of it that way, Darby Allen is the only person to take the number one contender to a draw. Jimmy Havoc won the Cracker Barrel Clash. You could argue that both of these two had done something to earn a match with some consequences to it, and that was this. Ultimately, Darby Allen would pick up his second singles victory in AEW when he hit the coffin drop on Jimmy Havoc. So next week on Dynamite, it'll be Darby Allen challenging for the AEW World Championship against Chris Jericho. So, theoretically, if Darby Allen beats Jericho next week, then we've got a rematch from, what was it, Fighter Fest, when Cody and Darby Allen wrestled to a time limit draw? With Darby Allen defending against Cody. I don't know. I figure Chris Jericho is probably the likely favorite going into next week. But there have been some changes made to that match between Allen versus Jericho. And actually, we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later because it plays into the last segment of the show. Then we had a women's tag team match between B. Priestley, Emi Sakura... And uh, Riho and Dr. Britt Baker, DMD. Now, they didn't mention during this match that it might determine who gets next week's shot against the AEW Women's World Champion, Riho. So this was, they announced before tickets went on sale for the Philadelphia show that Jericho would defend, or, well, that the AEW World Champion would defend the title and so would the AEW Women's World Champion. So Riho's got to face somebody next week. They didn't mention that who Riho faces next week could be determined in this match, but there was some New Japan Pro Wrestling style booking here. And so, in New Japan, tag team matches involving a champion often determine who faces the champion next. Like, if you pin the champion in a preliminary tag team match in New Japan Pro Wrestling very likely you're going to get the next title match. Even if, like, say nobody pins the champion in a tag team match, but your team beat the champion's team and you picked up the win, even then, sometimes they'll give out uh, a title match at that point. So they didn't mention that a title match might be on the line here, but you would have to imagine that if B, if either B. Priestley or Emi Sakura picked up the win for their team, especially if they had defeated Riho in the match, that they would be the one to face Riho next week for the championship. So what I'm assuming happened is because Riho and Britt Baker won the match, that therefore Priestley and Sakura were out of the title running and 
Britt Baker, since she was the one who got the submission in the match, she is now going to face Riho next week. And in fact, they would make that official later on the night. It will be Riho versus Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, for the AEW Women's World Championship next week. So Britt Baker this week, as she did on AEW Dark on Tuesday night, she won by sticking her fingers in the mouth of her opponent, in this case, Sakura, and making them submit. Of course, the story here is that after six years of dental school, Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, is so familiar with all the nerves in the mouth, with all the pressure points around the teeth or the tongue, that she can just stick her fingers in somebody's mouth and make them submit just like that. That's what she did to Emi Sakura. Her and Riho pick up the win. And if she does that to Riho next week, Dr. Britt Baker might be your new AEW Women's World Champion. If that happens, though, if Britt Baker does win the title next week, you would have to expect that she might end up facing B Priestley in the near future. Those two really paired off quite a bit during this match, and they definitely seem to have a rivalry brewing. And, of course, uh, B Priestley. B Priestley is someone... I mean, I've seen her in stardom a little bit, but she is someone that the fans really respond to. She just seems to have this presence in there. This very intimidating presence, so I wonder how long before B. Priestley finds herself in contention for a title shot in AEW. Then they were doing some interviews around ringside. The best friends were interviewed, and they were talking about their match next week in the tag team title tournament. Instead of giving their thoughts on the upcoming match, however, they just uh, said that They should ask Orange Cassidy, who just sort of gave a bit of a thumbs up. Then the lights went out, and it sort of seemed like maybe the Dark Order was going to come out. That was my first thought. But it turns out that just Sean Spears' entrance was starting, and his entrance starts with a whole lot of darkness. So it was Sean Spears versus John Moxley. And then Pac, who is 2-0 in AEW after having beaten both Hangman Page and Kenny Omega, was on the commentary booth for this. And don't sleep on a match that Jon Moxley has on Monday. On Monday at King of Pro Wrestling in Japan, Jon Moxley is going to defend the IWGP United States Championship against Juice Robinson. And that is going to be the rubber match between those two. When Moxley first came to New Japan Pro Wrestling, he defeated Juice for the United States title. But then in the G1 this summer, when they ran into each other in the round robin, it was Juice who picked up the victory. And that actually knocked Moxley out of contention to advance from their block when he did so. So Moxley defeated Spears here. With the paradigm shift, Spears was accompanied by Tully Blanchard again. And this was the second, uh, I'm not not sure if it was in a row, but he's now lost 
Uh, two big matches in a row. Spears has. He's lost. He lost here to John Moxley. He lost at all out to Cody. And it had seemed like Spears was going to move up the ranking or is going to pick up some wins. It just seemed like he would do better in terms of his wins, wins and losses since he was paired up with Tully Blanchard. He did pick up the pin for his team in a six-man tag that, uh, that was on one of the shows they had this summer. But other than that, Sean Spears' win-loss record in AEW, not off to a great start. He's wrestled in four matches in the promotion. The first was the Casino Battle Royale, which he didn't win. Then at Fight for the Fallen, he was on the winning side of a team. So it was him and MJF and Sammy Guevara. They defeated Darby Allen, Jimmy Havoc, and Joey Janela. The last two times out for Spears, however, he's lost. He lost to Cody at All Out, and he lost to Moxley on this show. So Sean Spears is going to have to put some wins together if he wants to find himself in a good spot uh, or in a big match. Definitely, he's going to have to win some matches soon if he wants to have a big match on the next pay-per-view on Full Gear November 9th. Now, after this match, Kenny Omega came down the ramp, and he had two barbed wire-covered items. One was a baseball bat. It's very... I mean, you see that commonly, Cactus Jack with a barbed wire baseball bat that made its way onto The Walking Dead for a little bit. Very common. But then Kenny Omega, because he's the cleaner, he would wrap barbed wire around a broom. Kenny's cleaner gimmick is a little interesting because... So he, he adopted the nickname The Cleaner when he joined Bullet Club in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But it was like... Like, in Bullet Club, they all have names that have so, have something to do with violence, usually gun-related, but not always. Um, like, he was the cleaner, and hangman, you know, stuff like that. So, But he was the cleaner in the way that sometimes hitmen are referred to as cleaners. But somehow the term cleaner and the hitman thing got all meshed together in Omega's mind, and he kind of became this this cleaner who also would literally clean with, like, brooms. Um, anyway, so he wrapped a barbed wire around a broom, but then he didn't attack Moxley in a very good guy sort of way. He tossed the baseball bat with barbed wire to John Moxley, as if to say... Yeah, I, w- I want to fight you. I want to. I want to fight you with barbed wire. I want to do all this stuff to you, but I want to make sure it's fair. Even though you attacked me from behind while I was in a match last week and DDT'd me through a glass table, I want to make sure that this is very fair. Now, Pack was on the commentary table. He grabbed a chair, and he comes up and he hits Omega from behind. Then Pack motions to um, Moxley, like, here you go. Here's Kenny Omega. Do whatever you want to him. But a rather conflicted-looking Moxley would look down at Omega and then just left. because, And then what he was doing, by not taking advantage of 
a beat up Kenny Omega. He was reciprocating what Kenny Omega did to him just moments earlier by offering him the weapon. Kenny Omega didn't want John Moxley to be at a disadvantage. And then after Pac hit Kenny Omega from behind, John Moxley didn't want to fight Kenny Omega while Omega was at a disadvantage. So what we've learned here is that Omega and Moxley really want to beat each other up. But they want to do it fairly. They, and they seem to have enough respect for one another that they want to do it fairly. But then it's also interesting, where does Pac fit in on all this? He's already beaten Omega. But when you look at who are the top-ranked guys in AEW, who could be in line for a title shot after Cody versus Jericho at the pay-per-view? Well, after Darby Allin versus Jericho as well. I mean, Pac and Moxley, you would have to kind of put in there. Unless Moxley beats... Unless Omega beats Moxley at the pay-per-view. Well, then if that happens, then Pac is probably still there. But then if it's a case, like, say... Well... I don't know. Pac probably is going to end up getting a title shot at some point. He was on commentary and was very upset that he hadn't gotten a title shot yet. Although he really just returned uh, to the promotion. I mean, he's only had two matches in the promotion so far. But he's won them both, and they were both over big-name competition. But say Omega beats Moxley at full gear. And then Moxley beats Pac then who is the top-ranked competitor between those three? Because they, they'll all have a one-one-and-one... One, or, sorry, a, yeah, ah, they'll all have a one-and-one one record against the other two. So you can do a triple threat between them, and then the winner takes on the champion or something like that. Then we moved on to the main event, and this is this is funny because... Me and Jeff Moss released the first episode of our podcast reviewing the Monday Night Wars this this week. Where we just kind of released like the prequel to the main episodes. But we just recorded the first real episode last night where we look at the May 27th, 1996 Raw and the May 27th, 1996 Nitro. And it's funny because gold dust is all over that episode of Raw from 23 years ago. And he's here in the main event of this show as well. So it was just interesting. And then we see Chris Jericho and Sammy Guevara teaming up. So I guess this is the first official inner circle team. Like, their first official match as a stable. Because they really just became a stable last week. Right? So this was their first official match as a stable. And Jericho, the AEW World Champion, picks up the win in the main event. And God, I was thinking, if Jericho... if This might be the biggest star that Jericho's ever been. Like, at least that's how it feels to me. And this, of course, is all subjective. But to me, when I looked at, like, Jericho was never the biggest star in WWE. He was always behind at least two or three bigger stars. 
but he really feels like the biggest star in this promotion. And this promotion feels, I mean, these shows feel big. They feel important. They feel historic. And they probably are. We probably will be talking about these shows in 10, 20 years, just like Jeff and I are talking about the May 27th Nitro 23 years later, where something very historic happens, something that changes wrestling forever. And it really feels like AEW is going to change wrestling forever. And think about the Rhodes family legacy. I mean, Dusty Rhodes is one of the most influential people ever in the history of pro wrestling ever, ever, ever. Dustin Rhodes was one of the edgiest characters in a really weird time for wrestling. But has also managed this, you know, up and down career, but legendary career over decades and decades. But if AEW has the impact that it feels it's going to, Cody, Cody Rhodes, the little skinny kid who does not look like his dad or older brother, could end up having a greater impact to the to the to pro wrestling than even his dad did, which is amazing to think about. Sorry, we are not done. On AW Dynamite here, though. So, Jericho picks up the victory. Then, uh, the, the Inner Circle beating up the Elite after the show. Every run, Run-ins all over the place. But MJF, this was a very significant part. MJF ran in. Members of the Inner Circle kind of held up Jericho like, Yeah, yeah, hit this. Hit him. Hit him. Come on. So it seemed like the invite was out. You can hit him and join us, but MJF turned the the chair on the members of the inner circle and, and is still aligned with Cody. It's one of those things where eh, maybe, we, maybe we don't trust that guy, but he hasn't done anything wrong yet. And so after the show is over, Cody would put out a tweet or something that said, you know, I, I know a lot of people think MJF's a bad guy. But, you know, something or other. So, whatever. Cody and MJF, they're all aligned. MJF, not a part of the inner circle. And then, as the inner circle was retreating, Jericho's got his back to the ramp. Who comes skateboarding down the ramp but his opponent next week, Darby Allen? Then Darby Allen jumps off the skateboard, starts beating up uh, Jericho. Eventually, the inner circle kind of get away from Darby Allen, and Jericho screams at Allen that'll get him next week. It'll be his funeral. And then a tweet that AEW sent out after the show. Uh, Jericho talking about Darby Allen's attack on him. And so now their match next week in Philadelphia for the AEW World Championship will be a Philadelphia street fight. And so that will be your... So two World Championship matches next week from Philadelphia. Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, going up against Riho. And man, Britt Baker could really win that match. 
So could Riho. But we could have a quick title change in the women's division. Like a really quick one. Because Britt Baker, I mean, especially with her dental nerve hold that she seems to be breaking out, she seems like someone who could be on top of that division for some time. Not maybe, maybe she'll win the title next week. Maybe she won't. Who knows? But she's got a chance, I would say. Chris Jericho versus Darby Allen. I'd say Darby Allen's chances of winning the world title next week significantly smaller than Britt Baker's. But this will be the biggest match in Darby Allen's career. And Darby Allen is kind of a fun guy to watch. He's a really fun guy to watch. Uh, I th- his match against Cody, especially with Cody trying to, with that ticking clock in the background, knowing that a time limit draw was possible, Cody trying to do whatever he could to finish off Darby Allen, and Darby Allen just having so much heart that he wouldn't go away. And so now he'll face Chris Jericho in a Philadelphia street fight. And that should be a pretty interesting match. But that was your second week of AEW Dynamite. I mean, to me, this show, it felt like last week was their debut show. And this week was almost like their night after WrestleMania show where so many of their storylines started to take shape. Like we started to see, all right, okay. Like last week, boy, what a big celebration this was. And this week it's like, All right, now we start to move forward and we learn more about the inner circle, who they are, what they're doing. We've got a feel, we've we've got Nick's title matches set up in multiple divisions. We've got the tag uh, title tournament moving forward with a huge, huge upset. So things have really started to move forward in AEW. And I think there's a lot of reason for AEW fans to feel excited about the future. Definitely excited about these next few weeks leading into full gear in Baltimore. Okay, just before we go for today, uh, just a couple of news items that I wanted to talk about. So the rules have been announced for the draft, which is going to start here in like four and a half hours from when I'm recording this. But uh, so the draft it start or it takes place in the T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas, and then it'll continue on Raw on Monday. Now, only certain superstars are eligible to be drafted on each show, right? Like so, on uh, SmackDown, there's a whole bunch. There's like you know 30 different superstars or whatever that li- are listed as eligible for either the executives from SmackDown of Raw or, or the, yeah, for either one to, to draft. Uh, SmackDown will get 30 superstars. Raw will get 41 because Raw is a larger show. Tag teams will count as one draft pick, and that makes a ton of sense. So we're not going to have tag teams split up uh, unnecessarily just because it would count as two picks to take them. No real update on what happens if champions get drafted or if champions are eligible. And Seth Rollins will face Roman Reigns with Seth Rollins representing Raw, Roman Reigns representing SmackDown tonight on SmackDown. And the winner will earn the first draft pick for their brand. 
There was one other match scheduled for tonight's SmackDown. It will be Charlotte Flair defending the SmackDown Women's Championship against Bayley. These two have met for the women's title. Uh, this will be the fourth time they have faced each other in singles competition this year that they have wrestled for the SmackDown women's title. Uh, Bailey defeated Flair. Oh, I guess that was a Money in the Bank cash-in at Money in the Bank 2019. Then Bailey defeated Flair, defending the title at Clash of the Champions 2019. Then Flair defeated Bailey at Hell in a Cell 2019. Now they'll meet again tonight on SmackDown. And so that's what we've got for this show. Thanks very much, guys, for supporting SpoilerFreeWrestling.com. Check us out on Facebook, facebook.com slash spoilerfreewrestling, YouTube, and Twitter. Thanks again. I'm the iGuy from Spoiler Free Wrestling.